On today's episode of the Private Practice MBA, we'll discuss why it's imperative to your practice to break it down into components and exactly what those four components are. There is no doubt about it. The business of medicine is sick. And that's why the team at Amelia Aesthetics created the Private Practice MBA podcast, where we unpack practical solutions to help plastic surgeons, residents, and even your private practice staff to go further, faster. I'm your host, Greta Nance, and each week on the podcast, we'll listen to and then break down a short lesson from our completely free business course found at theprivatepracticemba.com. Let's get started. My guest in the studio today is Robbie Poe, COO of Amelia Aesthetics, author and one of the Private Practice MBA instructors. The lesson we'll be listening to today is all about breaking down overwhelming and complex business issues for ease, clarity, and optimization in the future. But first, we'll hear from Robbie, then Dr. Jeremy Pyle, CEO of Amelia Aesthetics. And after the lesson, Robbie and I will be back in the studio to discuss. So one of my favorite memories of growing up was learning to work on cars with my grandfather. We call him Daddy Bob. And Daddy Bob, he taught me that no matter how complex a system is, it can always be reduced down into less than a handful of components. And this is really important because when you're troubleshooting or working to improve or working to even maintain a system, it's really helpful to quickly identify how all the moving pieces can be categorized into just a few components. That way we can quickly navigate our way around really complex systems and we can ensure that we don't neglect a specific part of the system by mistake. So for example, Daddy Bob loved to work on cars, right? And he taught me that every internal combustion engine can be reduced down to three components, air, fuel, and fire. How extraordinary is it that something as complex as an engine can be reduced down to just three components? Can you imagine like how less intimidating and how much easier this construct makes it to troubleshoot a problem or improve an engine's performance or to ensure it continues running optimally? And just like the engine of a car, your private practice, just like every small business on the planet, can be reduced down into four basic components. Money, sales and marketing, operations, and leadership. So let's take a really high level look at each of these real quick. First, there's money, as in the lifeblood of your practice. We're gonna focus a lot on money because after all, if we run out of it, we all have to go home. And great news, we're not just gonna give you a bunch of high level words and useless MBA style definitions. Instead, we're going to teach you the actual nuts and bolts of how to take care of your money so that it takes care of you. Next is sales and marketing, as in the intentional, predetermined step-by-step process of getting the right people to notice your offering, raise their hand, and take strategically defined steps towards making their life better by purchasing what you're selling. And after sales and marketing, third is operations, as in how your private practice provides its offering to the world. 
It covers everything from hiring, to firing, to team meetings, to patient feedback, to scheduling, to digging out the problems in your practice and solving the right ones in the right order. And then finally, there's leadership. John Maxwell, one of the godfathers of business success, he teaches that everything rises and falls on leadership. We've certainly found that to be the case here at Amelia. So we're going to teach you the most powerful and practical leadership lessons that we've learned. Things like vision casting, change management, how to create tight-knit teams, and what to do each time that you fail as a leader, because it's going to happen. So if we want to stick with the car analogy from earlier, you, you can imagine each of these four components, money, sales and marketing, operations, and leadership, as that tire on your car. And if even one of them gets neglected or goes flat, I assure you, you're going to feel those consequences across your whole practice. So we're gonna teach you how to put each of these four areas on autopilot so that none of them suddenly catch you off guard and rob your team of the valuable momentum which you've worked so hard to create. Robbie Poe, always good for a car analogy somehow. Whether we're talking about leadership or money, you always seem to make it into a car thing. I can't um, help it. But it is really helpful. Um, so let's talk about that. You gave this great example of how, you know, your granddad helped you to break down even the way cars did. It seems oversimplifying to break down a whole business into four components. Um, but why is it so helpful, especially when it comes to business, to be able to break down a system into very simple components. Yeah, I think it's because in leadership, we have to make decisions so quickly. And any kind of mental model that we can attach to that decision-making process, like mental models just add wisdom into, you know, that you have like, put together during an unemotional moment that all of a sudden you get to leverage that wisdom in a moment that is very high emotionally. And so with these mental models or with these, you know, these filters of whether it's a vision statement or a mission statement or core values or operating principles, we've all heard of these things. The value and the wisdom behind creating those in very unemotional, very focused moments is that when we need to make fast decisions or when we need to quantum leap, so to speak, as leaders in our decision making, then we have a lot of wisdom that is standing behind that decision. There's a lot, there's a tailwind in that decision-making. We're not just, you know, well, I'll just take a wild guess on what I think that we should do. Instead, we've got this, you know, whether it's, it's, it's our personal wisdom and experience and intuition that we've brought to the table, or it's something we've read from or heard from a mentor or someone that we respect. I think that, you know, when it comes to having these systems, these mental models in our mind, it helps decision-making, at least for me, more than anything else that I've found. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to go on the fly. Like, mm -hmm. do you have an example? Because I'm trying in my head to be like, I'm sure there's a million examples, though, that fall with one foot in one component and one foot in the other. You know, a team member who's been a problem, but mm -hmm. who wants a raise. Is that money? Is that operations? You know, I'm sure, can you think of some examples where this has helped you in the real business setting? Yeah, I think all four of these components are in the exact same sandbox. Like, mm -hmm. it is impossible to extrapolate leadership or disconnect leadership 
from any of these. Like that's the easiest one. It's like, you know, if you're sitting with a meeting with your accountant, you better be a great leader. You better have worked on your leadership skills for that conversation. That is no different than sitting in a one-on-one with a team member. You better have learned some leadership to have that conversation. Maybe you're firing someone. Maybe you're hiring someone. Like leadership transcends into all of these areas. But at the same time, like sell the two things that might seem like they're they're completely disconnected, sales and marketing and operations are in fact more coupled than any of us could possibly imagine. Because if someone has gone through a marketing and a sales process with our practice, they have been made promises. And sales and marketing, they don't fulfill those promises. Operations fulfills those promises, right? And so all of these things are, are anything that is said on, for a really practical example of this, anything that is said on your website better be consistent when someone sits down in the office of your practice, right? In, in an office inside of your practice. Like if it says on your website that you offer, you know, financing company X, Y, or Z, and they sit down inside of your practice and you're, they're only offered one, that you there's enough of those that happen and the patient experience is so destroyed that they're absolutely never having surgery with you. And so mm-hmm. all of these touch all day long and just the idea of putting them into these four buckets is just kind of an easy way to start making those quantum leap decisions as you're trying to figure out where is the root of this problem because typically the problems that show up on the surface, they may seem like it's a sales and marketing problem when actually when you really dig it out, it's an operations problem. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to see how we've gotten here in some ways. I used to, you know, you've heard me say, I used to go to all these plastic surgery meetings. You know, I want to learn all about the entire holistic business, but really, really all they talk about is marketing, mm-hmm. you know, in these meetings. It's either how to do surgery or how to get more leads. There is no, I've never run into a meeting where they really spend any time at all talking about leadership, operations, or sales. Mm-hmm. It's only marketing. Like, is that part of the problem here? I I can't say because I don't go to these meetings. So I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, like, you know, if there's any, like, really, uh, you know, if, if I leave any major gaps for our team, it's that I really don't pay that much attention to what's going on in other places. Mm-hmm. I just pay attention to our heroes and try to do what they're doing. But Like, I think that people don't talk about sales often enough simply because Mm -hmm. sales can feel icky. We've all been taken advantage of. We, we all know what it's like to go through a bad sales process. Sales somewhere along the line got uh, a terrible name for what it is. But at the same time, if we take the word sales out of our vocabulary and out of our practices, then we're leaving decades and decades of wisdom on the table, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that uh, Mark Cuban has a great definition of sales. He says, sales is simply the act of showing someone how you're going to make their life better. Hmm. And so, you know, I I love the idea of sales. In this industry, we love to say, we don't sell, we educate. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, that's self-deceptive at best. Like, you know, education is certainly part of sales, but if you're not thinking through this, I'm going to, I'm going to one step at a time, help someone take steps towards our offering and- Mm -hmm 
also have the integrity to to say at some point, I don't think this is for you. That should be part of a sales process. You know, I that stuff is just, I don't know. I think sales just feels icky. So a lot of times people don't talk about it. You know, I see some operations stuff on the agendas of these meetings. You know, it's usually referred to as practice management, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's typically stuff that isn't terribly helpful, if I'm being honest. But like, you know, I, I think when it comes to leadership, man, if there's any of them that that we ought to be paying more attention to that we're not, it's leadership. John Maxwell, one of your favorite authors, I know, mm-hmm. you know, famously said, everything rises and falls on leadership, everything. And mm-hmm. I have found that to be true in my career that, you know, no matter how bad a problem is or now, no matter how great something is going, leadership is the, is the glue that holds the team together. And leadership is the thing that gives us certainty in the face of uncertainty. And it's the thing that, that makes the team feel proud and big in the moments of a win. And so I, you know, gosh, if there's anything that is lacking more than anything else, it's leadership. And I think that's just because it, sometimes we have such a hard time teaching past where we're currently at. And leadership is just one of those areas that most people, myself included, would never stand up and say, I'm an amazing leader. And so we don't feel like we have the authority to teach on it. But at the end of the day, we have something to teach when it comes to leadership, even if it's one little nugget that we learn from a grandparent. And I just think it would be, we, it would serve all of us really, really well in this industry if we would not be afraid of the topic of leadership. And if we would just lean in and say, John Maxwell is right, it all rises and falls on leadership. So we better start taking it more seriously. Mm-hmm. I am so excited. Like today we're kind of still setting up why this is important. We do not want to overwhelm people because there are so many business principles that most people have not had the time to absorb if they've been in medical school the last 16 years. But like, I'm really excited to dive into that topic because Mm -hmm. now I've been in this industry 19 years and vulnerability, which goes hand in hand to me with leadership, does not seem popular in the fields of medicine. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to listen to Dr. Pyle here in a minute and he actually hits on that. So it's so funny that you set that up because to me, if you're the biggest, smartest doctor and the decision maker in the room, it's really hard to then be vulnerable with your Mm -hmm. team, which is what builds trust and makes me want to follow someone. So it's all intertwined for sure. Um, If somebody is excited right now to kind of get this going, how do they get started breaking out wherever their practice is, or they're about to have a practice into this? Like, is this setting up core values? Is this setting up systems at this point? Or just being aware that every time a problem comes your way, you need to identify it in a little mental bucket. Like, how do we get started doing this? So this is going to seem like the most self-serving answer that that we could possibly put out into the world. But I'm going to say it anyways. For anyone who's wanting to kind of learn the basics of an operating system, or for anyone who's kind of wanting to just not even start to implement, but just to get their head wrapped around kind of the 30,000 foot version of, of, or like of what we're talking about here, there is just no better way than to go to the privatepracticemba.com and watch the introduction like series of videos. Mm-hmm. We've made them short. We've made them very accessible. Like the entire reason that we created that online course was so we could have this conversation that we're having right now that we feel, and it's free. The whole thing is free. We're not trying to get anything out of it. Like 
And so that, as, as self-serving as that may sound, it's, it's just the, it's why we created it. It's the best way that I know of to just get a 30,000 foot overview of what in the world is an operating system? If I were ever to consider implementing it, what do I need? You're going to need your people. You're going to need your processes, all these things, right? That we give in 20 minutes and it could be one of the most powerful and, and, you know, uh, uh, trajectory changing 20 minutes for your practice future or current that you'll ever spend, not because it's our content, but because for us, when we decided to take this idea of an operating system seriously, so many things that just continually were a problem in our practice that we could not figure out how to solve consistently or permanently, they started dealing in fact with themselves. And so that, that is the best way that I know of to get a really simple overview of this whole thing in a space that we just don't have time to like, you know, unpack right here, right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well, speaking of, let's go ahead and hear Dr. Pyle's part of this lesson. I already set it up a little bit, um, but we're going to hear him kind of underscore the difficulty from a surgeon's perspective, um, but the necessity of looking at the business of medicine different than we may be used to. So let's hear from Dr. Pyle. I want to talk for a moment about biases. We all have them. It's a part of being human. Some are uncommon and specific. Some influence our everyday. Anchoring bias is one of those. Anchoring bias is the tendency to interpret new information in a way that's influenced by what we already know, uh, an idea that we're anchored to. It's a critical part of being in medicine. So I've lived with this one and through this one for a long time. Now, human beings are incredibly complex. Every issue, every disease, every version of every issue or of every disease presents a little bit different. If we needed every single symptom or every lab to agree with a diagnosis, we would never be able to act. And so, especially when worried about something serious, we tend to make quantum leap decisions based on commonalities and information that we already know. Sometimes it works, sometimes we're wrong. But if the alternative is waiting until the answers are clear, that luxury isn't always there. Now, the flip side of that is also true. Professionals in medicine tend to be very slow in accepting the new or what other industries have long accepted as standard. When someone asks us to change from what we currently do or how we do it, we tend to assume that the new is wrong. We're anchored to the way that we used to do it. After all, like if we accept that the new is better, we also have to accept the implication that we've been doing it wrong up until that point. And when dealing with human health, that is a very uncomfortable truth. It's so much easier to just keep doing what we're doing. And we point to the complexity of the human condition as the reason that we should. So when someone tells us to consider a new route, we just tell them, mm -mm, you don't understand. You don't know how hard this is. Nevertheless, there is so much for us to learn from other industries. And if we continue to believe that our situation is special or if we're too different or that medicine is too unique, we will continue in medicine to fall further and further behind the rest of the world. And the business of medicine will continue getting more and more sick. So I want to challenge you in the same way that I've challenged myself and our team. It's time that the business of medicine look to other industries for modern best practices and find ways from those other industries 
to implement them within our own practices. So Dr. Pyle explained this anchoring bias. At first, when he said it, I had no idea what he was mm -hmm. talking about. But after he gave an example, it made perfect sense to me. But again, not as not a physician, um, that when this, why this exists in the field of medicine and why it's such a problem. But I really want to talk about and encourage people that he has taken a lot of steps to overcome it. He admitted it's still a problem, but he has to identify it. And, you know, how do we get over this uncomfortable truth that is literally prevalent in the entire field of medicine? Yeah. I mean, even not being a surgeon, like I feel the uncomfortability of this topic mm -hmm. very like close to my chest. Like I, I totally get it. And I think that when it comes to, you know, especially when we run into an idea as leaders and it feels so uncomfortable, but it also feels very important. The only way that at least I personally have ever found to healthily interact with this thing that feels important and uncomfortable is to just, sometimes I just even say it out loud. I, I need to change my perspective. There is something about the way that I view the world, or maybe that I view my business or the way that I view the team that I have the privilege of leading. There's something about the way that I look at things that is getting in my way. And I know that, you know, to, to hopefully help uh, folks who are listening go further faster than we were able to go, what we realized, and I'm almost ashamed to, to even record this and say it out loud, but what we realized is that so much of the uncomfortability that we were feeling, it was because we were not paying attention to the right thing. And when I say the right thing, here's what I mean. So often when there would be a problem that arose, we would make very business first decisions. And then after we made our bit, like we made the decision that was good for our business or our practice, then we would try to figure out how to make that decision work for the patient. Mm -hmm. And that, that paradigm, we ended up turning it on its head and that has done so much for us. Instead of saying, whenever we run into an opportunity, Instead of saying, well, first, how, how, can, how can we make this more profitable? Or how can we make this easier on our team? We start from the other side of the spectrum and we say, okay, how do we make this easy for a patient? In fact, that's our mission statement. Make it easy to be a patient. When we started asking the question, how do we make this easy to be a patient? Patient first decisions. And then after we decide this is what will make it easiest to be a patient, now let's figure out how to work inside of the practice to make this idea work in the practice. Mm -hmm. And so, for, for example, like one of the, the things we talk about a lot, maybe like online booking, you know, like we, you know, when we were someone, you know, I think it was you or someone came to the table one day and they were like, hey, why can I book a $200 haircut online, but I can't book a $20,000 procedure. Like, doesn't that seem backwards? And so we made a, like, we were like, Hey, patients want to book online. Mm -hmm. Now that raises a whole host of business problems. It's like, well, how do we make sure that we're getting qualified people booking online? So they're not wasting our time. What about the technology? Like, how do we, how do we even go about 
doing that on our website. Like this mm-hmm. is, we've never done something like that before, you know? And like in the past, if we had started with the business, we would have said, well, we'll get people online booking, unqualified people will book. We don't have the technology, so we're not going to do it. But patients want to book. Well, then we'll put a contact form on the website. See, see the difference It's like, you know, the business first decision is always, almost always runs in direct conflict with what the patient wants. And what we have found over and over again is that when we put the patient first in every choice we make, easy to say, hard to do. When we put the patient first in every choice we make, and then we figure out how to adjust the business to fit that choice, then this this whole thing of like this uncomfortability that all of a sudden we knew is important, it becomes this like this uncomfortability that is like full of joy. That it's yeah. like, you know, all of a sudden our team is excited to do uncomfortable things because they realize we're here for the people who don't live inside these four walls. Mm-hmm. And so if we have to make ourselves uncomfortable, even in order to make their experience better, we will do that with joy. And so mm-hmm. it, it, instead of it being this like roadblock or this hurdle that we had to get over, it becomes this like accelerator of our culture and this like moment of excitement when we identify yet another way where we can make our lives harder in order to make our patients' lives easier. Mm-hmm. It's like a rally cry in our office now. Like mm-hmm. I can I can remember a, a distinct difference of the before and after. I'm so glad you brought up the online booking because that is one of the most painful things. Mm-hmm. I know it's painful for every other practice because no one is really doing it well. And it's still something that we wrestle with. But at yep. first we were like, okay, we know it's really emotionally difficult. A woman cashes in all of her courage to pick up that phone and finally admit there is something she just cannot live with anymore. But she's like, what if the person on the phone is mean to me? What Mm -hmm. if I don't ask the right questions? So for a while, we spent a bunch of time trying to make the phone call experience better. Let's hire a whole, remember we had kind of a room of phone people and they were wonderful and we gave them scripts and we knew to make it, you know, we wanted to make it easy for women, but we didn't want to do, get too crazy, you know, but we want, how can they do it on the weekend? We see that women are wanting to do this when we're not here. And it took a while until we Mm -hmm. finally really got clear on that mission statement. And that mission statement from the person at the front desk to a surgeon, if we filter everything through what makes it easy to be a patient, everything becomes a lot more clear. And so with my team, we use that every day, multiple times a day in decision making. You know, well, this literally today how do I book online if I want to lift and implants? Mm-hmm. You know, like a woman doesn't know. Well, you can just talk about the implant. Book the lift and we'll talk about, no, if I know I want to lift and implants, mm-hmm. I need you to have that online. As in, So Julian and I had a good discussion. I'm like, what makes it easy? I know you know what the answer is, mm-hmm. but she doesn't. So we have to make it easy to be a patient. So That's I love right. that. Um, I think one of the things that Dr. Pyle kind of alluded to and brought up though, is this idea that especially in medicine too, we don't look outside of our industry Mm. because medicine is hard and medicine is unique. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, but as I'm your patient, I'm booking my orthodontics appointment online and I'm booking my waxing appointment online. And I need you to lean into making it a little more convenient. So 
I know we, as on the business side of things, it was a lot easier for us to look outside of our industry. So can you tell me some examples of who you look to, what you got from them, and how you know Dr. Pyle has shifted to being comfortable looking outside of the field of medicine? Yeah, like this this whole idea of looking at our heroes and letting them inspire us. Um, I, I'm a, I can, you know, maybe this is a bit altruistic, altruistic, I don't know, but like, I, I feel like that there is such an unhealthy level of competition in this space. I'll get, I, I promise I'll get to what you asked. Like there is such an unhealthy version of competition inside of this industry that we are so busy looking across the street to decide what we should or shouldn't do, that we completely miss the inspiration that is more or ought to be more right in front of our faces. And here, here's what I mean. So I feel like that as leaders, we have to almost condition and train ourselves to when we have a remarkable experience to not just go through that experience and to go home in the evening and be like, that was a great experience, whether it was a restaurant, whether it was a car buying experience, maybe it was, a, you know, a drive through to fast food restaurant experience. Who knows? It's just like, but something about it was just remarkable. And especially as business leaders and as leaders of private practices, like, I think it's just so necessary that we train ourselves to get into the headspace of deconstructing what was remarkable about that experience and figuring out how to apply it in our practice. Not for the reason that you probably think. It's not for the reason of creating a competitive advantage from the person down the road. That's not it. It's to collectively raise the entire industry. If we would all do this thing, the entire industry would be raised up because the people who we're actually competing with, are it's not the surgeon down the street. If, if a woman is, is thinking about financing a surgery that's going to cost her $500 a month for the next so many months, that sounds a lot like a car payment to me. That sounds a lot like a Tesla payment to me. And so if we actually believe that we're not competing against Tesla, we're crazy because we are. It sounds a lot like if someone's going to spend $15,000 on a surgery, that sounds a lot like a Disney vacation to me. Mm -hmm. And you better believe that that potentially mom who is considering this mommy makeover, if you don't think that she's also thinking, what kind of mom would I be to not take my kids to Disney and to have this surgery for myself? What kind of mom would that make me? And so it's just like when we're paying attention to what is happening in normal culture and normal society, and we take those remarkable moments that happen to us, those are the same remarkable moments that our potential patients are, are gravitating towards making choices to go on the Disney vacation or to buy the Tesla instead of considering investing in their own confidence which we know would have a far greater payout than just about anything else that they could spend that money on. 
And so I just feel like if, if we could just raise our eyes up to the horizon, even just a little bit and stop paying so much attention to each other and start paying attention to these companies that have spent millions, if not billions of dollars doing consumer research and creating remarkable experiences. We can, we could glean so much from these companies. Like when we were building the bust mob goal finder, I remember like we had to create this filtering system and it was like, well, let's go see how Airbnb does it. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's Airbnb like Airbnb and Peloton is what we use. That's right. And it's just like, let's, let's see what the people who have amazing amounts of funding have done, not with just their online digital experiences, but with these remarkable, memorable experiences they create. And then let's ask ourselves as leaders, how do we apply this very similar idea to our own practice? Some of the best ideas that we've had have come from Publix and Disney Mm -hmm. and Pixar and Tesla. Like it, it, it just hasn't happened in some conference room that we were sitting around a table at one day. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I think I err on the side of medicine with this one because I was in the field so long before this. I know people in medical school, medicine has been your whole life. You have probably not lifted your head up and looked around to even seen what's going on. But it took me a little while to like muscle memory my way out of looking like I had all kinds of Google trend searches that would send me just plastic surgery stuff. I had to unsubscribe. (laughs) And even you, sometimes I would come in and tell you something, this is what's going on. And -and so-and-so got this. You just like not even engaging with me anymore, which it used to be that was reps feed the whole thing. Well, let me tell you what's going on down the street. It's really hard to break that shell, but you can do it. Because if yeah. anyone could, I did it and it is, it is, does not even occur to me. I don't have a clue who's around here anymore. And it's so refreshing, but I follow these blogs and these podcasts, you know, how I built this and John Maxwell, like it is really difficult to do. I think when you are in that plastic surgery specific bubble, but it has been so eye opening and refreshing. And yeah, your Taco Bell story of, Hey, you can have an amazing customer service experience Mm -hmm. in Taco Bell and mine ordering granola bars digitally have been two of the most game changing, you know, conversations we've had of like, Hey guys, we should bring this into our practice. So it is really neat when you stop looking just down and look around at a lot of other businesses. It's probably too, uh, you know, the people who have upset are already turned this off, but like, it's probably too late (laughs) for me to say this, but I hope it doesn't sound like I'm saying there's no wisdom in the industry. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there is so much that we leave on the table as far as wisdom and research goes that if we would just pay a little bit more attention to the remarkable experiences that we were having as individuals and apply them to the businesses that we were running, my goodness, the 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 the, the collective um just the collective DNA of the entire industry would evolve in such a positive way. Yeah, I, I agree. I hope I hope we didn't piss anyone off <laughs> because yeah, that's maybe not our people, intention. But. <laughs> but it's true. Like uh, from the old lady here who's watched that transition happen, it's made a big difference in my life. I know in Dr. Pyle's life and mainly in our patients' lives. And it's a lot more fun to look around and see what other people are doing and find ways we can serve our patients better through texting about granola bars or something Mm -hmm. like that. Text me, don't call me, for sure. Um, Thank you, Robbie. On the next episode, we're gonna dive deeper. So I'm getting excited about getting into the tactical stuff. We're gonna talk about the people practices and the autopilot 
practice management software. So make sure to tune in for that. And to sign up for our free private practice MBA course, you can head to theprivatepracticemba.com and we'll see you soon.